Subscribe to this podcast to get exclusive access to the after show shooting the breeze. So today we have Dr. Marnie Hill Federero. Is that how I pronounce your last name? Yeah, Federero. Perfect. Good, okay. Huh? Yeah. I usually slaughter names, so I always ask. <laughs> <laughs> so she's written a book uh, called God Came to My Garage Sale. Um, and I have that there in my hands. And um, why don't we start off by getting you just to tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do uh, for a living, where you live, that kind of stuff. Sure, sure. Well, um, let's see. I am an author and I live in the Caribbean right now for the past three years in St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, after a lifetime in the Chicago, Illinois suburbs in USA. Oh, that's quite a change. <laughs> yeah, so it was a big change. Yeah, but I also had some big life changes. So it, it kind of went hand in hand. Um, but I grew up with an atheist background. Um, I really didn't have much exposure to organized religion or spirituality or God or anything like that. Just a, a couple experiences that were more, I almost believe like babysitting experiences where, you know, my parents dropped me off and, you know, um, just because they needed to do something else or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't really a conscious, um, uh, effort to expose me to religion. Although I did live a year in Athens, Greece as a child. And um, my parents did have us immersed into the Greek school system there. And part of that was to go to Greek Orthodox Church um, on Saturdays. We The whole school would walk about a mile to church. Uh, that could have been a babysitting situation too. So anyway, very little exposure. Um, but I always knew in my heart that there had to be something more. Um, I just felt like I was someone who was filled with love and appreciation and gratitude and wonder. And, you know, I, I also tried to use some common sense, like, you know, our bodies are too amazing to be just something that was not divinely created. And, um, and so it wasn't until I went off to college and in my sophomore year that I really kind of pursued looking into God and uh, looking into the Bible and um, learning about Jesus Christ and, um, and various other religions as well. I was just very interested. Uh, but I did become baptized. Um, I was baptized Presbyterian um, during that time in college. And then later on in my life, after I was married and um, was very excited to have a family and wanted us to be united, um, my, uh, now ex-husband was Catholic and not a practicing one, but just kind of, um, I don't know how to really describe it, but more of a, you know, um, it was something he was raised with, but, um, didn't really, um, when I knew him, didn't, wasn't that involved. Um, seems to be a common you know, thing quite often. With, it is with a common thing, although, although he was someone who worked in the archdiocese as well. Um, 
so you would think that there would have been a deeper connection, but but to me, it always seemed a little surface. And and even when we got married, it wasn't really an issue for me to convert or or anything. So, but but um, early on in the marriage, I really felt I wanted to pursue religion more. And, um, and I really wanted our family to be united. So I went through the year long program to become Catholic. And I loved that. I loved that program. Um, I learned a lot about it. Um, I eventually became a lector in the church where I would read scripture. Um, in many ways, just because I, I really wanted to learn. I was just, you know, an eager student. Um, I do have a hard time with some of the hypocrisy of organized religion, where, um, you know, you'd like to think that the church leaders and and the organization is um, got all great, wonderful, loving intentions, but, you know, you can observe otherwise. And, and certainly there's been enough in the news. So, so I kind of have steered away from the organized religion, but I feel that in doing so, my relationship with God has gotten even stronger and stronger. And during a very challenging time in my life, I, I decided to leave my marriage after 27 years. Um, it became very evident that I needed to escape. And um you know, I had no idea what was in store for me as far as the repercussions to that choice, but I still believe it was the best choice to make for my own safety and for my own uh, well-being. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate what, what happens, you know, how some people choose to react to that, um, you know, when someone makes a decision, you know, and knows that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a healthy, safe environment to be in. Um, but anyway, I, in the midst of that, I still was filled with love and gratitude and, um, you know, hopefulness. And I, I ended up having a garage sale. And at that garage sale, I did experience some spiritual encounters, some um, events that really prompted me to kind of revisit, you know, my already strong belief that there is more to this life than, than we just live and die, you know, that there is some divine presence. So it prompted me to write this spiritual fiction. And even though it's a fiction, um, it's really inspired by real true events. And it was endorsed by James Redfield, who wrote the Celestine Prophecy, who um, also um, had great success with writing a spiritual fiction. And in some ways, it's a, it's a way, well, not only could I recount some of the experiences that I had and, and made the character really question, you know, is there a God? Did God come to this garage sale? Um, but it also, um, I believed, gave me a, a platform, a medium where I could reach people that might not otherwise read anything religious or spiritual, um, or even some of the, the many near-death experience accounts that are out there, you know? And so I, I just felt like 
it was something I really wanted to do. And I was really honored. It won the 2020 Best Books Award. And um, I was a finalist in that. And then I also got a five-star reader's favorite review, which was good. And it it seems to have touched a lot of people. I still do book signings um, with this particular book. And, and actually, that prompted me to go on and write a lot more to help me process some of the domestic violence and um, narcissistic abuse. And, and, and unfortunately, my, my trauma involved parental alienation, which is the loss of adult. In my case, they were adults, but the loss of children, uh, not in the physical, but, you know, to a malevolent agenda where they are kind of using the kids to get back at you. They've already taken everything, your house, your money, you know, your friends and family, your support system, but, you know, they know what you love the most and that's your children. And, uh, and so it's an unfortunate situation that happens to a lot of dads and moms. And unfortunately there's a lot of kids that are adults now that have realized that they've been victim to that as well. But anyway, to process all of that, I ended up writing a five book series called true deceit, false love. And so that was all very healing. So that's kind of my background. Uh, I was a special education teacher for 35 years in the Chicago suburbs, um, which was a career I absolutely loved. And uh, 12 of those years, I was an adjunct graduate school pro uh, professor at Northern Illinois University, where I got my doctorate. I, I went on to do postdoctoral work starting in like 2014 at Harvard and, and did a number of years um, of study there um, just because I love learning. And I, and I also wanted to be the best teacher I could be and uh, wanted to kind of be up on some of the, uh, I was in the education department at Harvard and, you know, I wanted to, to, you know, I really benefited a lot from that, from some of the speakers. So anyway, that's, that's my background. And, um, and here I am, you know, now just promoting my books and, and having lovely conversations with, with uh, amazing people around the world. Yeah. And uh, writing can definitely be a very, very great healing process. I use it myself a lot, yeah. um, especially with poetry. Um, I find yeah. it just very, very therapeutic. Um, so what was the experience like going from being a, a, an atheist to coming to that, that realization that, you know, there really is, is God out there. And uh, how is that really shaping your life now? Well, I mean, when it first happened, you know, kind of full force, I was so excited. I wanted to be baptized and, you know, I, um, I don't believe I was baptized previously, or I think I would have seen some records of that, or my parents might have said something. So I was, I was so glad to, to, it was just a calming reassurance that, you know, all these thoughts I had over these years were spot on, that, that there had to be something more. And of course, with all that comes a lot of questions. You know, we, uh, I, I have been someone that has struggled with what they call blind faith, because I didn't really grow up with that. I'm someone who needs proof. I need evidence. I need documentation. I need research to, you know, to help me, you know, buy in to something or to accept it as a truth. 
Yeah, and, there's a lot uh, of evidence in the Bible. Like yes, there is. Oh my gosh. Very much. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh. And actually with some of the world's events that are happening now, there's so many things that are just coming to light that were, that were predicted. There's, it almost seems like we're in a spiritual war. I hate to use the word war, but we're in a, a, a definitely an era of, of good versus evil. Yeah. And, and that's what I believe. I, not everyone does. I, I think that there are people that, you know, I mean, are at different levels of their journey in awareness. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's amazing when you look at all the historical evidence, it's just mm-hmm. all the different things that line up and more and more every day that they're discovering. It's, it really is quite amazing. Um, and, and I'm, I can't quite wrap my wrap, my mind around not believing that right. um, just because of all the evidence. And I'm like you, I, I, I'm the type that needs evidence and do research on everything. Right. Right. I know it's, it's, you know, well, it got me far as far as my, you know, professional life, as far as that love of learning and pursuit of information. But, um, right. you know, sometimes I need to just, you know, tone it down and just, live and just experience and um, not always be on a quest. So you told us a little bit about the God came to my garage sale. I'm really curious about your other books that you've written. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those ones? Yeah, sure. Sure. It's a five book series. I didn't really plan on writing them, but I did find writing to be so therapeutic in that I, the first version of God came to my garage sale was much different than the published version. So um, it went through many different phases of, of my healing and being able to get some of this uh, trauma out of my body, out of my mind, you know? Um, so you know, in researching um, why bad things happen to good people and how could after 27 years, I not realize that I was in an abusive situation. Um, And that's a very common theme too, for people that they can go through years and years really thinking everything's okay, but not realizing that the, the, person that they're working for or that there's a family member or that they are are in a partnership with really have been smearing you for years to other people, kind of setting the tone that you are not stable or you are not, um, they almost project. So whatever they do, which is lie, cheat and steal, you know, they will project that onto the people who would never consider doing anything like that, just because that's, that's what abusers do. They do a lot of projection and they do a lot of gaslighting. So even though I'm a competent, intelligent, reasonable person, I, over the years, my self-worth was crumbled little by little to where I really questioned, you know, the gaslighting was, was such a huge manipulation tactic that, you know, you question your reality. I mean, and they will even say things to, to you like, well, you, you didn't see that, you know, I, I love that one statement that says, you know, when, when, when the wife caught the husband in an infidelity situation. And she says, how can you do this? And he says, what? I'm not doing anything. Are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? 
And I'm thinking that's kind of what they do. They, they, you know what you have seen and heard and witnessed, but they'll turn around and say, you didn't hear that. You didn't see that. You didn't witness that. And so if they can have that much power and control over an adult who has lived life and, you know, is very successful in many other areas of their life, uh, just imagine what they do to the children when they rewrite the memories of the kids and they they throw away photographs and mementos and gifts because they want to erase you. Um, you know, once you figure them out and their mask falls and you you realize what you're dealing with, and if you even attempt to 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 leave, like you know, when when the mask fell with my husband's situation when I was just out for pizza um, and one of our children were with us. Um, I was shocked by the confessions that were made and the, the statements that were made so much so that I kind of went silent for someone that's usually comfortable talking and working things out. I just was like silent. I just knew that was the last straw. This was pretty serious. I'm dealing with a real dangerous malevolent. Uh, I always knew dishonest, but really, really, really dishonest uh, person with, you know, deceit and betrayal and that type of thing. And, and it was the next day or the day after, I can't remember, I was physically shoved up against the wall. And, um, and, and was, and this is the weirdest thing he said, he said, don't you dare divorce me. And if you divorce me, I'll take your house, your money and your kids which he proceeded to do. But I mean, who says that? Don't you dare divorce me. You would, I mean, it just was such a, it really took me by surprise and, and led to my silence. It, it actually confirmed that, oh my gosh, I'm getting the heck out of this situation because it's, you know, it, it, it had turned physical as well. Oh, he it revealed was, his darkest fear is what he did. Probably it was, yeah. it was just, it was, it was very, um, very surprising because he's, but he's someone that has always just enjoyed uh, manipulating people, being in positions of power and control and, and kind of, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just allowed it to just, you know, I just ignored so much because I wanted a happy family. I was busy teaching full time, volunteering at places, had my own little projects that I love to do in the garden or with our home. And, and definitely my biggest joy was, you know, um, spending time with my children and, and guiding them on their way to be independent. But anyway, getting back to the books, um, I needed to find out what, what, what made me a target. You know, I needed to do some inner work and look back at my own family, you know, and my own experiences and maybe core wounds and, and other relationships, which revealed themselves like a best friend. I had no idea had been betraying me for years. And um, someone I had known since I was five. I mean, that was almost harder than, than making the decision to leave a marriage um, because, you know, you think your best girlfriend, you know, always has your back and, it, it was not the case. And, and, uh, and there were a number of other people too, family and, and friends that I really had to kind of evaluate 
um, but, but in that I did a lot of research and I watched podcasts and I did a lot of reading and there were always these terms that were thrown around that were definitely part of this abuse recovery community. And I would write them down, like what does smearing mean? Or what is, um, I knew what brainwashing meant, but you know, I wanted to look at that term in relation to domestic abuse or what is a golden child or a scapegoat child or um, what is gray rocking or stonewalling? I mean, there was just all these terms and I would just, I would just write them down to look up later, you know, to be like, you know, um, what's that all about? And, and before I knew it, I had a hundred terms to look up and then I had a thousand and then the list kept on getting bigger because the more you research and the more you tune into different people, it's almost like new verbiage is being uh, developed like daily, yeah. um, new terms. And so I cut it off at 15,555 terms and phrases um, on domestic violence, narcissistic abuse and parental alienation. So, and, and these, this book and my entire series is highly endorsed um, by even even Dr. Sam Backman, who wrote, who actually coined many of these terms. Um, you know, he's a psychology professor out of North Macedonia, very well known um, about narcissism, actually is a self-proclaimed narcissist, you know, so someone who identified what he was, you know, his behaviors and sought help for that and awareness and um, and now is bringing awareness to other people. But just amazing people that have endorsed my book. They were people that I looked up to um, to get information and they saw value in what I was doing with listing all these terms. Um, and, and I purposely didn't do it as a dictionary or glossary because there are so many definitions and really part of the healing is when you look up these terms and then you kind of connect the dots to your own experience, then you really start moving forward in your healing. And so then that led to acrostic poetry. And so my second book, um, you may not be able to see it here because it's green. There it is. Whoa, there's the green screen. <laughs> but, um, it's it's a, a book of over 300 acrostic poems. And acrostic poetry is where you write a term vertically and you use those letters to write phrases, sentences. It can be informational. It can be an emotional response. Um, I purposely wrote my poems. I did 13 poems for each letter of the alphabet. I mean, being a teacher, I, I wanted to provide myself with some sort of structure for that. Um, plus, you know, plus <laughs> after this first book with having so many terms, terms, I needed to, you know, put a stopping point to it. So I, so I limited it to 13 words for each letter of the alphabet had, it had some challenges when it came to Q and X and Z, but you <laughs> know, I was, I was creative <laughs> and I was able to do it, but I write the acrostic poetry from anyone's point of view. So it can be the abuser talking or the victim or the father or the mother or the child or the grandparent or the boss or the employee. So really um, so many of the different acrostic poems are informational, but they 
um, can also be looked at from a lens of different roles and different genders. So I found that helpful. And then I ended up with my third book, um, writing um, a survivor's workbook with acrostic poetry. So I provided a term, I provided uh, two examples, and then I provided some blank pages for people to come up with their own you know, acrostic poetry, because people have words that have meaning to them, you know, like um, there's a word that is meaningful to my children and me. It's called rollsies. Well, that's not a real word out there. It has to do with a, a cinnamon roll, a Pillsbury cinnamon roll, but it's the orange one. And we would just call them rollsies. And so like if I wanted to write an acrostic poem that was personalized, you know, to my children or something, I could write rollsies and they would know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but no one else would necessarily. I mean, they could figure it out from the writing. And then the uh, fourth book is uh, was free verse poetry. And boy, did I find a lot of healing in that. I like free um, verse. Yeah, just free verse poetry. And I was able to um, take things that I had experienced or other people had experienced, you know, it's not really specific, um, you know, but it had a lot of meaning to me to put some of that down. And then the fourth, the fifth book, which I don't have a copy of, but it's a purple book. Um, I used all these bright colors um, because I am colorful and bright. Um, it is a word search puzzle book which may seem really strange, but when I was going through the various stages of my own healing, um, trying to understand what I had been through, I found a lot of peace and calm in putting together a jigsaw puzzle, um, knowing that if I just did one piece, you know, I had accomplished something and I could just, you know, I, it just was taking baby steps. And so I loved crossword puzzles and word searches, and I just love words and, and writing. And so that book is out now. That, that book is a word search puzzle book. So it's a true deceit, false love series. I could rattle off all the different endorsers, which are very famous people, very big influencers in this community. Uh, but I would encourage anyone to just check them out on my website, which is the title of my spiritual fiction and which you held up, but it's God came to my garage sale and the, dot com not in the description. Yeah. Yeah. So dot com. So, so when you go to my website, you can check out those books as well as I was a co-author in five other anthology books, which I contributed a chapter. In fact, one of them, one chapter that I wrote, and I believe it was for the blue talks presents books Blue, B-L-U, stands for Business, Life, and the Universe. And actually, I know you're in Canada. The, the founder of this organization is Corey Poirier. He's out of Canada as well. And um, But I was very honored to be part of Volume 2. I think he already has volume. He's up to Volume 6 in that series. But I wrote my essay or my chapter on going from um, a devout atheist to an unwavering believer. Yeah, so, see, my books, I've got two children's mystery novels out. Oh, uh, Kids on a Case is what is what I called them. And uh, they reflect a lot of my own characteristics. Like my main character just is very curious and smart and 
and just gets into trouble because he's too smart for his own good kind of thing. Right. Right. Um, And then I wrote a, a poetry book, um, which again, has a lot of my heart just poured out into that in different stages of my life. So there's like a dark section where it's like from, from those really depressive states that I was in. And then I have but writing it, the fact, the fact that you could write it out is amazing. Yeah, exactly. It, it was just, it was very healing. Yeah. And uh, there's another book that I haven't published because it's not anywhere near any ready stage. I don't know if I'll ever finish it, but uh, it's, uh, it's about a boy who uh, his parents, his father is abusive and uh, his parents are going through a nasty divorce and he was going to commit suicide. And then he comes across this little boy who is crying on a bench. And this little boy, his parents are getting divorced and this little boy has cancer and he's terminal. And it's about their kind of experience between the, between the two of them. And I bring in some of my poetry into that book Wonderful. written from their perspective. And it, it's interesting. It's been a very challenging project um, yeah. and lots of research goes into every book. So I like, you say research it's like yeah research research but you know part of it like you were saying okay it's not anywhere near finished or ready to be published part of it is the journey the journey of it all that's very important like I didn't think I would write another book for the true deceit false love series but I'm working on another book and I didn't think I had another one in me and this is going to be very different and um but I'm not in a hurry to get this one out at all and going to enjoy the process of it. Um, it. It involves really looking into a lot of memories. And, uh, and so it's a very healing thing, just like in your case, you know, the character, your character um, found that someone else had a different challenge in their lives yep. that could almost make your challenge or that other characters challenge not be the end of the world, you know, not be the the worst thing that could ever happen. Well, I think that's where these testimonies and getting the stories and stuff from everybody is so important because one person's story may touch the life of someone else. Yeah, And I just think that is just, very, very important. So I, I love hearing people's stories like yeah. your own, even as challenging as they are, just yeah. because they're powerful and they, they they reach people for for different stages of their lives and, sure. and help them. And uh, realize I'm also at I, I've kind of gone beyond, you know, I, because there's many different stages. I, you know, I'm living a beautiful life in the Caribbean. I am so happy every day. I'm immersed in nature. And, you know, even though I don't have my adult children in my life, I love them to the moon and back. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, negate the a mother's, you know, bond with their children yeah. and their love. And, you know, I have to realize they have their own journey, just like I have my own journey. And actually it's helped me kind of put up some boundaries and, and not allow myself to be abused, you know, even by adult children, you know, that, and that's really hard because as a parent, you know, you're, you're just so your, your role for so many years is guiding them and providing experiences and helping them spread their wings to become who they are. And then at some point, other people have influences on them. And some of those people can be pretty negative 
and, you know, can steer them on a, a path that would not be anything that you would have, you know, uh, uh, approved of or, or supported. And, but at some point you need to kind of let go, not that you would ever let go of your children, but you'd let go of, of, you know, realizing, hey, you can't control what other people do. You can only control yourself. And, you know, I've come to a point of, of self-love, um, you know, where really I know the good person that I am. And I feel that God is supporting me. I feel like I have divine a divine shield around me in many ways, because so many wonderful things have come my way. And, and the abusers continue, you know, I've been, I think I filed for divorce in 2013. And my abuser is still taking me to court, you know, still for it's like, what? Yeah. but it's, it's all on false information or whatever. But you know, they, whatever it is, they want to keep the contact going because they, they love that kind of control. And they, exactly. they like to think that, yeah, that they'll, but, but I don't think about that person at all. I mean, I really, you know, when I do think about him, I think, oh, God, how did I, how did I not see, you know, some of these things? I, I happen to surround myself with some real loving, honest, good, intelligent people. So I, I really, I, I've been able to move from the various different stages, but life is a journey and it will continue to be a journey. And, and that's an okay thing. And, uh, but I've, I've at least found my voice. And like you said, you know, just if it helps one person that we're sharing a story to give them a little bit of hope that, Hey, you know, someone else kind of survived a similar thing and, and they came out doing just fine. You know, maybe I can too. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's been a pleasure having you on here. If you could uh, just leave us with one piece of advice for someone who's, who is maybe trapped in, in that sort of abusive relationship, what's yeah. one piece of advice you'd give them? Oh, well, I wish it could all be boiled down to one piece of advice. So I, I would say definitely honor yourself and pay attention to some of these red flags. Look up what red flags are. And, and they're, they're very common with isolation and gaslighting and smearing and, and control and slowly, you know, where, where you lose your ability to um, even make some minor decisions. So, so pay attention to those those red flags and learn about them. Just do a little bit of research. Um, if it's helpful, pick up my, my book series, True Deceit, False Love. You know, at least the first book, you can look into a lot of terms, but the second book really provides a lot of information with that acrostic poetry. And, and stay true to your values of honesty and goodness. Realize that we all have challenges. And if we handle our challenges with love, and honesty, compassion, forgiveness, and goodness. So many of the things that the Bible says that, you know, um, is just a, a more positive way to approach life. And, and you can be on your way to heal and, and you know, reclaim your life. And, and you'll, you'll find much enjoyment and pleasure in your days. Very true. 
So thank you for coming on. It has, it has been a pleasure. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, I, I think uh, the discussion was, was very, very important for people to hear. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and thank you for talking some about your books. I, I can't wait to check them out. And, um, you know, I'm glad you're also agreeing that writing is very healing for people. Well, I have just been uh, blessed with so many people who are requesting to be on the show. And I'm impressed with how many people want to share their testimonies or what they're doing uh, for the Lord right now. Uh, if I haven't got back to you, I promise I will get back to you. Uh, I look forward to, to speaking with each of you and interviewing you. And uh, keep tuning into the show. There, there's lots of, of new people that are coming on here. And if you're considering uh, wanting to, to come on the show, uh, just shoot me an email at tpeters745 at gmail.com. And uh, I will get back to you.